Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying the book of Matthew. I've been learning a lot as we've been going through the book of Matthew. And I'm excited to, uh, to really dig into what we just read this morning about the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This, this passage really is, is teaching us one of the most significant events in all of human history. That seems like a hyperbole, doesn't it? But it really isn't. You know, as you think about significant events, you know, our frame of reference doesn't usually go back that far. If I asked you what are the significant events in world history, you may go back 100 years and say, well, the Wright brothers' invention of the airplane back in 1903, that was a significant event that we benefit from today. Can you imagine a world today with no airplanes? How much slower everything would be if there was no air travel? That was a really significant event in world history that changed things. 10 years later, Henry Ford invented the uh, assembly line and was able to mass produce automobiles at a price that most people can afford. And people all over started buying cars and mobility changed and commerce changed. It significantly changed the way that we lived our lives. The two world wars, if they would have ended differently, World War I, World War II, how much different would the world be today than it is? You fast forward into the 70s and 80s, the advent of the personal computer. There are some people in here that remember a world without computers. And how did that change everything? Imagine a world where you couldn't sit down and access a search engine to get the answer that you need. There was a time when that was a reality, that you had to actually either go find a book or a manual, or even worse, you might have to talk to somebody that was older than you that maybe knew some stuff that you didn't know to get the information that you needed to have. But the personal computer changed all of that. And then came November 2nd of 2016, a very significant day, and I'm I'm sure that you're all sitting there saying, oh yeah, I remember that well. It was the uh, 10th inning of the seventh game that the Chicago Cubs won the World Series after a hundred years of waiting. Now that might not be a significant world event, but for Cubs fans, believe me, it was a big deal. What we're looking at this morning, you, you could create a list of a thousand significant events in human history, and none of them would come close to what we're going to be talking about this morning. The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. When you think about the, the, the Old Testament and how the, the people of God were frustrated for years and years and years, and they were up and down and up and down, and they were looking forward to this Messiah, and now finally... Here is Jesus. So as we look at this passage this morning, the thing to know is that the way that it was read, it's not linear. 
It's not like he went here, he went here, he went here, he went here. There's information that's in here that's described. So we're going to sort of categorize it into five different aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry. We're going to look at when it started, where it was, what was the message, who was it to, and why. Those are just handles that help us to be able to categorize what it, what it is. And we're going to start with when. And that was in verse 12 of chapter 4. He said, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. So you keep in mind that John the Baptist's job, his role, his prophesied role was to make way, make straight the way of the Lord. He was to prepare for the message that Jesus was going to bring. John had an unusual way about him, his dress, his eating. People looked at him a little bit sideways, but he obeyed and did what God called him to do. And ultimately, the pinnacle of his success was when he was arrested, taken away, and then ultimately beheaded so that Jesus then could step into his earthly ministry. You think, I think, this is a sidetrack, it's going to be very short, but I think a lot of times when we step into what God has asked us to do, we have this idea that I'm going to serve God, I'm going to selflessly do this thing, and I'm going to be recognized, and I'm going to be honored, and I'm going to be appreciated, and people are going to talk well of me. And yet, I don't know where that comes from. Because when we look at the scripture, we see more often than not, it's like what John expressed or experienced. And a lot of times, people don't talk good about you. They talk bad about you. And so what do we do? We go, well, if they don't appreciate me, I'm not going to do it. Or if they're going to talk bad about me, I'm just going to quit. And what we're seeing here is that John served God. John stepped out and obeyed what God asked him to do. Even though it, it wasn't pleasant, even though it didn't go well, John did what God asked him to do. So he did that, and then when he was arrested, Jesus knew that that was the time that he was to step into her, his earthly ministry. Now keep in mind that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And I just imagine that there was a time, a morning, that Jesus in his humanity woke up and he had heard about John and he knew it's on. You know, last week was the Daytona 500. I don't know if anybody here cares about that. It's a NASCAR race. You know, the race cars that go in circles. Well, to get it started, they, they have what's called a pace car and it goes out and it drives around the circle and eventually all the race cars get in behind him they all get in the right order so that they're ready to start. They get the cars warmed up. And then when the pace car pulls off the track, that's when the race starts. And it gets noisy, it gets crazy, and it's on. That's where Jesus is at because John has been taken away. Now Jesus in his humanity, he wakes up that day. I wonder what he was thinking because it's on. And he is about to step into this role. And he is about to start his earthly ministry. So when did that happen? That happened when John was taken away. So the next thing is, where did it happen? Well, we see in, in uh, verses 12 and 15, it says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And then down in 15, 
uh, those two hard words of Zebulon and Naphtali or Naphtali or however you say it, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the Gentiles. Now, have in mind sort of the geography of where we're at. Galilee is way up north. It's this area and there's the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum is a little city on the Sea of Galilee. And then as you go south to the bottom, you come to Judah and the Dead Sea, and right next to the Dead Sea is where Jerusalem is. So largely Jesus' ministry goes from the north down to the south. And so he's starting his ministry up north in Galilee, and he's speaking now to who? Who is he going to speak to? Well, in a word, he's going to speak to everyone. Um, but I, I got out of order here. So the next thing is what? What is the message? This is really the crux. What is the message that Jesus is saying? In verse 12, in, uh, in, yeah. in verse 17, he says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is come near. So as I'm thinking about the earthly ministry of a Messiah, and I'm thinking about if I were the Messiah, what would I say? What would I want my Messiah, my Savior, to say to me? I'm thinking I would want him to have words of, of love and comfort. And I, lo- I love you. You are my sheep. I'm here to rescue you. You know, all of these warm, fuzzy acceptance types of things, right? You're my savior. You're here to save me. And his first words were, repent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word repent, I've got this vision in my mind of this guy with a bullhorn and this homemade sign with red painted word repent because judgment is right, right, whatever, and he's screaming in this megaphone. And, And the word repent has this really scary negative, offensive connotation. Do you ever think that? If somebody says repent, what do you think? It is, a, it is an offensive term. And yet, Jesus knew that if we were to be able to be in the position to be able to be loved by God, to be able to be in a relationship with God, to be able to enjoy his presence, the only way that that could happen was for us to be in God. And the only way for us to be in God is for us to repent. So in verse 17 where it says repent, I, I was thinking about some way to illustrate it because it's different from what we just naturally think. I was thinking about a guy who lived in an apartment his whole life. And his apartment had a balcony that overlooked the city. And that balcony was his favorite place in the world. He would go out there, he would read, he would listen to music, he would have friends over, they would go sit on the balcony and they would talk. When there were hard things in life, he would go out on the balcony, he'd think, he would call people, he would talk. And that was where he lived his life. He would enjoy the view of the city. That balcony is where he would go to make sense of life. 
When things were out of control, all he wanted to do was to get back to his apartment and get out on his balcony because that was a calming place where he could start to assess and figure things out. That was his comfortable place. Until one day, he started to smell smoke that was coming up and he'd come to realize that the building that his apartment was in was on fire. He's standing on his balcony and all of a sudden a ladder comes to the railing of the balcony and he has a decision to make. Either he's gonna stay where he's comfortable in a place that he knows or he's gonna climb out and he's going to get on the ladder that's gonna lead to life. If he stays in his comfortable place, he will perish. If he climbs out of the railing and gets onto the ladder, he will be saved. His life will be radically changed because it's not gonna be like it was before, but he will be saved. He's turning away from what was to what is going to be. That is the metanoia. That is the word for repent, a change of mind, a change of direction, a turning. So many times we take repentance and we shrink it down to, you know, saying sorry for the bad things that I've done. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. That was bad. I won't do that again. And that is certainly an aspect of repentance but repentance goes beyond that. I was thinking of another example in uh, Matthew chapter 19, and you don't need to turn there, but this is the account of the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus, and he says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he goes, well, which one should I keep? And Jesus said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbors yourself. And the young man sighed with relief. I've, I, I've kept all of those. I, I, I'm in good shape. What, what, what else do I lack? Thinking that he would say, nothing, you're good. You're good to go. And Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, Go sell your belongings and give, give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And this young man went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus was not saying that his righteousness was wrong. He is doing good things. I'm sure this was a good man that lived a good life, that did the right things, what Jesus was pointing out to him is that all of the righteousness that you have done, all the hard work that you have done and trying to do all of this stuff falls short. That righteousness that you have done cannot save you. The only thing that can save you is to turn from your life and your efforts to Jesus. And Jesus was helping him to identify really what he was trusting in, and that was his life his righteousness, and his possessions. Jesus was saying, if you will take and lay that down and give that away and turn and come follow me, that's what you need to do. That is a repentance. That is a change of mind, a change of direction, leaving behind the old to follow Jesus into life. 
That is what he was sharing with this young guy. So the question for us this morning is what is it in your life that brings you solace, that brings you comfort? You know, a lot of times we have coping strategies to get through life, right? When things go wrong, what do we do? We have strategies on how we deal with things. I've got a friend who, uh, whenever things get crazy, he starts getting rid of stuff. He says, I have to simplify, I have to just get rid of stuff. I don't care if it's a smart move or not, I've just gotta get rid of it to cope with things. We all have coping mechanisms. They help us get through life, right? And yet sometimes our coping mechanisms can be our God. That's what we turn to instead of what they really are, which is a gift from God to help us get through life. God is the one that truly helps us get through life. A lot of times we confuse the gift with the gift giver. And I was thinking about a song, again, an old song from 1970, James Taylor, anybody out there? James Taylor wrote a song that had a, a great tune, a godless message, but in this song, uh, it's Sweet Baby James if you've never heard it, um, he says there's a song that they sing when they take to the highway, a song that they sing when they take to the sea, a song that they sing of their home in the sky, speaking about Christians singing about heaven. He says maybe you can believe it if it helps you to sleep but singing works just fine for me. So he confused true saving faith with a coping mechanism. He uses music. When life gets out of control, he picks up his guitar, he plays his music, he feels better, he thinks everything's right in the world. And he misunderstands the fact that music is a wonderful gift from God that does tremendous blessings to us and for us as we worship God and we enjoy his gift to us, but it is not a substitute for God. So the question for us as we think about that is what is, what potentially could be a God that we're trusting in in our lives? Whatever it is, Jesus is saying to us, repent. From that. What is the priority of our life that you believe will bring you joy and happiness? You believe it so strongly that you're willing to sacrifice everything to attain it. We're good at that, right? We're good at being busy trying to get stuff, whether it's possessions or money or power or you name it. We're, we're, we're really good at that. But the reality is that that is a God that can be a God that becomes a thing that we live for and Jesus says repent from that our lives should be spent in service of the king our lives should be spent asking him what do you want from me and if ever he says I need you to go do this I want you to go do this you know let it never be said that we're too busy right and so whatever it is in our life that would get in the way of doing what God has asked us to do, we should repent of that. And I love the second part of verse 17 where he says, repent, 
because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Get that imagery in your mind. The kingdom of heaven, literally the kingdom of the heavens. And you, you've seen the, you know, the, the, the telescope pictures of the, the galaxies and the solar systems and the stars, the immensity of everything that God has created. This is God's realm, God's reign, God's kingdom where he is. And that has come near. This hasn't happened since Genesis chapter 3, when God and man were in communion together in the garden and everything was perfect. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the fall happened and there's a separation. Now, God did not abandon man. But there was a necessary distance because of sin. God continued to be faithful. He, he continued to interact with man. He continued to lead. He continued to provide. And he continued to reveal through the canon of Scripture more and more about himself and the Messiah. He promised a Messiah, and in Scripture he prophesied about the Messiah, and then in the person of Jesus he provided the Messiah. And the reason that he did that was so that there could be a reconciliation between God and man. Now, we know, according to our Venn diagram, that we go back to all the time of the circles. We got the one circle where everything's great, the two circles where there is a separation. The third is the two circles that come and they intersect. That's where we're at right now. That's where Jesus' ministry started. It's interesting that Jesus' earthly ministry started when he was like 30 because when he was born, there was this big celebration, the angelic announcement, all of the hubbub about God being born, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, and all of this. And then a couple years later, the wise men come, and they lay their gifts before this, this little toddler, and they worship him and all of that. And I'm sure everybody's looking, saying, I don't get it. This is just a kid. Well, then you go beyond that, and he is a kid, and he grows. He gets to be 7 and 8 and 10 and 13, and Nothing's going on. All of this hubbub when he was born and then nothing until now. And now is the appointed time when Jesus steps into his role as Messiah. Now, when he was born, he was born fully God and fully man, even as a baby. So at that point, those circles came and they intersected. But nothing was really done about that until now, when he steps into his role as Messiah and he's coming out and he's sharing the truth of the good news. Now, John had been leading and making the way for that, but now it's time for Jesus to step into his role. I love how he says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The domain of Satan is sin and death and the domain of Satan has no power over the children of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven in just a minute, but let's go beyond and talk about who the message was for. Who was the message for? Because 
in, in short, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it tells us, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. So in short, who is Jesus' gospel message for? Everyone. And so as he starts along his ministry, we see that he, he first goes out and calls these disciples. And this starts down in verse 18. He says, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's an amazing thing. These guys were fishermen. They made their living, they made their money, they, they bought food, they provided for their families by fishing. And the nets that they used were the, the tools of their trade. Without the nets, they couldn't fish. And they were out there casting their nets into the sea and Jesus said, come. And immediately and completely, they obeyed. They left their life of fishing that they knew to go follow Jesus without any answers. Now, <laughs> if that were to happen to us today, we might say something like, okay, I've, I've just got a couple of questions, right? Help me sort this out. I want to do this responsibly, right? Because I've got obligations, I've got this, I've got that. Uh, let, let's talk about this and put together a timeline. And let's, let's look at how we can leverage the boat so that it's not wasted in the nets. And let's talk about the business. And let's... There wasn't any of that. Jesus said to these guys, come, follow me. And they followed him. I can't help but put myself in their shoes and think, what would I be thinking? What would I do? And then the next two guys, they're in their boat with their dad, Zebedee. And he says, come with me. And they walked out of the boat, leaving dad in the boat. And they went and they followed him. They left their business, they left their family, they left everything to go follow Jesus, immediately went to follow him. That's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He puts the calling of the disciples out there. Now, we call ourselves Christ followers for those of us, you know, who are, who are of the faith and, and we want to follow him. And yet, I don't know about you, but for me, that is a big challenge for me. If Jesus calls on me to do something, am I going to obey immediately? Now, he's probably not going to ask me to leave my life and go do something, but he could. But you know what he might ask me to do? He might ask me to call somebody and talk to them. Have you ever been just driving around and all of a sudden somebody's name pops into your head? And you think, oh, I should call that person. And you go, oh, no, that's going to be a long phone call. I don't want to, and you don't do it. Now, what, what is it that God is asking you to do? Maybe he wants you to step out and be a part of this little bitty church plant that there's no guarantees where this is going to go and, and even where it's going to meet in six months. We, we don't have any of the answers, but God moved and said, hey, I want you to do this. He said, okay, 
I don't have the answers. I don't know a lot about it, but if this is what you have for me, I'm going to do it. Are we going to obey immediately? So Jesus' message hit these disciples uh, hard, and they obeyed, and they obeyed immediately. And the good news about that is, is that even if things don't go well, like they didn't go well for John the Baptist, humanly speaking, even if things didn't go well for these guys, by stepping out and obeying God and doing what he asks you to do, even if everybody in the world thinks you're crazy, there are rewards in heaven for you. Whose praise would you rather have? The praise of people around you or the loving praise of God? I think the, the answer should be obvious. It changes everything, doesn't it? Because if I go to serve and it doesn't go well and I think this is really what God wants me to do. I know this is what he wants to do, but it just doesn't feel fulfilling. You know what? I'm going to push through that. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to let him figure out the rest. I want to obey like the disciples obeyed. So, who is it for? It's for everybody. So then we go over to verse 23, and it tells us a little bit more about that, and that he went around all over Galilee teaching in the synagogue. So that's the first hint, that he was preaching to the Jews in their synagogue. So he would go in while they're teaching, and then he would start teaching the gospel, the truth. He was preaching repentance. Now, keep in mind that the Jews at this time thought that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to free them from Rome and he was going to set up their earthly king and reign and all that stuff. So they had a different idea on what was going on. And Jesus came in and he started preaching repentance to them. And then it says that he went around preaching all over the place. And we know that from the beginning here in uh, verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, primarily in 16, he says, of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So he also was preaching to the Gentiles. Imagine being a Gentile. You are the people that are out there just trying to figure things out. The Jews had the temples, they had the priests, they had the rabbis, they had everything. You're a Gentile. You've got nothing. You're trying to make a god out of an old tree stump, and you're just, you're just trying to figure it out, and everybody looks at you like you are nothing. And now, all of a sudden, in the darkness of the Gentile soul comes a light. Somebody coming to them with the truth. Imagine what that would have been like for them. Nobody had ever come to them. And now Jesus was coming to them and saying, repent, there is a way for you to be with God. And they had to just be stunned. But as he was going around, a lot of people started to notice because not only was he preaching, not only was he teaching in the synagogues, but he was also healing. And that really got people's attention. Because as he was going around and he was healing, 
people were starting to, hey, so-and-so over here has been lame since birth. This guy can fix him. Let's take him over there and see if we can get him healed. Or this person has been in pain their whole life. Let's take him over to this Jesus guy and see if he can heal them. And so all of that was starting to go on. But we get caught up a lot of times in the physical healing part of this. And the reality is Jesus, being God, was a representative of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no pain. There is no sickness. There is no sorrow. There are no tears. There is none of that. The kingdom of heaven was present in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as he is moving through his earthly ministry, people are bumping into the kingdom of heaven through the person of Jesus Christ. And the love and the compassion and the healing was just overflowing from him, and it was amazing. It wasn't some trick that he was doing to try to garner attention. It was the reality of the kingdom of heaven spilling out on humanity. You think, boy, I wish we had that today. Guess what? We do. Because Jesus told us that when he left, that he was going to send a comforter. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit of God. And so for every believer, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit of God is every bit as much God as Jesus was. And the Holy Spirit of God is the representative of the kingdom of heaven. You, my friend, my fellow believer, have within you the kingdom of heaven. Does it spill out to the people that you are with in, in joy, in happiness, in peace, in comfort? Is it possible that our prayers could end up in people actually physically being healed? It's possible. And so Jesus was going along and he was a representative of the kingdom of heaven and I'm telling you, it is an amazing thing. Revelation 21 tells us, and I heard a voice from, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for formal thing, former things have passed away. My friends, the kingdom of heaven is real and it is awesome and it is perfect and it is everything you could imagine it could be and more. And Jesus had come to this earthly ministry and he was introducing that at this time and people were starting to take notice of it. But the way that you get to enter into the kingdom of heaven is by taking his message to heart to repent, to turn away, to take what you're trusting in, whether it's your righteousness, whether it's uh, your, your church attendance record, whatever it is, repenting from that and turning to God, turning to Jesus, giving it to him, the control of your life, giving it to him. Well, I've got plans of what I want to do in my life. I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to earn this. 
you give that all up and say, you know what? All of that is worth nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're seeing here is a comparison of the kingdom of heaven and our personal kingdom. And there is no comparison. We give that up, we repent from that, and we turn to Jesus. So this morning as we think about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' message to repent, where are we at in our lives? The question I want to ask is, what is the evidence? And I like the diagnostics, you know that. What is the diagnostic question for us? What is the evidence of true repentance in my life? I'm looking at my life, I'm trying to figure it out, just like I'm trying to figure out why my car doesn't run right. I'm trying to figure out in my life what's real. You say, well, what, is it, what does it look like? Well, what it looks like is, and just listen to these words. These are the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's in Galatians 5. Look it up this afternoon. Are those things present in my life? Those are the evidences that the Spirit of God lives within us. Those are the evidences of true repentance, not my resume not how many things I've done for God. Matthew 7 clearly tells us that. All the things we do for God are meaningless. What matters is that we have repented and turned to him and surrendered our life and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this morning as you sit here and you're thinking about that, I don't care how many years you've been going to church. I don't care how many classes you've taught. I don't care about any of that. What matters is when you look at your life, are the evidences of repentance visible? And I, I, I hope that they are. This is not a judgmental thing. This is a thing to look at and say, thank you, God, because I know that those things are not native in me, but they are a gift from you. Or if you would say, you know, I've never looked at it that way, but I'm not really any of those things, and today is the day. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day that you can turn from the old and turn to Jesus. So let's just pray together. Let's ask that God and his Holy Spirit would help us to discern where our hearts are at as it relates to this. Let's pray. Lord, we do this morning come to you and ask that you would help us to see clearly where our hearts are at. We know that the heart is, is a hard thing to figure out. It is deceitful, Lord, and we know that Satan is a great deceiver. But I pray that your spirit would give us discernment to look and to consider, have we repented from our self-reliance from our sin, from our arrogance? Have we laid our lives down and turned to you for our salvation? Lord, is there evidence of the indwelling spirit in our lives? And if there is, Lord, we celebrate that this morning, but if there isn't, and we pray that you would make that clear.
Nothing would make today better than for somebody to come to know you and to know the joy of your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.